This week, FTD and Fusion Connect file for Chapter 11. PHI debtors announce settlement with key parties minus equity committee. EP Energy unsecured note holders organize ahead of June 15th coupon. More on all this and, as always, updates from Puerto Rico. Welcome to the week in Reorg. Hello and welcome to the Reorg podcast, where we bring you the latest top developments in high-yield distressed debt and bankruptcy. I'm Connor Skelding, reporter for Reorg in New York. And I'm Karen Lung. Later this episode, our Director of Credit Research, Mark Fisher, and Distressed Debt Analyst, Adam Rhodes, do a deep dive on Weatherford International. They'll walk through the events leading up to its contemplated restructuring and go through the specifics of its restructuring support agreement that would reduce Weatherford's debt by $5.85 billion, as well as other highlights of the situation. Stay tuned for their conversation. It's Sunday, June 9th. FTD Companies, a Downers Grove, Illinois-based floral and gifting company, filed for Chapter 11 protection on Monday morning in the bankruptcy court for the District of Delaware. As part of the filing, FTD says it has entered into a definitive purchase agreement with an affiliate of Nexus Capital Management to acquire FTD's North America and Latin America consumer and florist businesses, including ProFlowers, for a purchase price of $95 million in cash. FTD has also entered into two non-binding letters of intent, one with a strategic investor to acquire personal creations, and a second with Farrods and Company to acquire Sherry's Berries, where the sale of Interflora in the United Kingdom to the wonderful company for $59.5 million in cash was completed on May 31st. At the FTD debtor's first day hearing on Thursday, Judge Lori Selber-Silverstein granted the debtor's requested first day relief subject to various modifications. The debtors filed a revised interim dip order that increased their access to interim financing to $47 million from 42 as a result of the second day hearing being scheduled a week later than anticipated. Judge Silverstein granted the dip motion after raising a host of questions and comments to the order. As authorized, the interim financing consists of $35 million in new money and a $12 million roll-up of the debtor's pre-petition bridge loan. The debtors are seeking approval for an aggregate of $94.5 million in financing on a final basis. On Monday, Cloud Platform Manager Fusion Connect filed for Chapter 11 protection in the Southern District of New York. Immediately before filing, the debtors entered into a restructuring support agreement, also dated June 3rd, with an ad hoc group of first lien lenders, holding, quote, almost 70% of amounts outstanding under the first lien credit agreement. The first day declaration of CEO Keith Solden described the RSA as a, quote, baseline restructuring proposal. He said the company remains open to considering other potential transactions. Solden said the RSA parties, quote, intend to constructively engage with a second lean ad hoc group and the majority shareholders on a potential reorganization transaction that could be supported by all of the company's major debt and equity constituents. Under the RSA's, quote, restructuring transaction, supported by the First Lean Ad Hoc Group, First Lean claims would receive 100% of pre-dilution reorganized equity, less any distributions to other claim holders, as well as $400 million in new First Lean term loans and any proceeds from the sale of the debtor's Canadian business. 
Meanwhile, second lien and general unsecured claims would receive potentially nothing, and at most, quote, the percentage of the new equity interests determined by the bankruptcy court to satisfy the best interests test. The RSA also contemplates a proposed $59.5 million dip facility, including a $39.5 million uh, new money commitments, backstopped by the First Lien Ad Hoc Group, but available pro rata to First Lien claim holders who have signed the RSA, and a $20 million roll-up of so-called super senior pre-petition bridge loans, funded in May by a subset of the First Lien Ad Hoc Group. During the first day hearing on Tuesday, the debtors obtained approval of all requested relief from Judge Stuart Bernstein. Counsel for the debtors reiterated the flexibility of the current RSA arrangement, characterizing it as, quote, including, rather than contemplating, the reorganization construct supported by the First Lane Ad Hoc Group, while reminding the court that the RSA calls for the debtors to continue running a sale marketing process in parallel. Also on Tuesday, the debtors filed a bidding procedures motion, contemplating a September 11th bid deadline and September 13th auction date. The PHI debtors announced at a hearing on Wednesday that they had reached a deal with key parties in the case, ending a litigation saga with the unsecured creditors. The official equity committee is not a party to the settlement, which was reached during court-ordered plan mediation. Current CEO and board chair Al Gonsolin, a flashpoint of the restructuring, would retire from those roles on the plan effective date under the settlement. The settlement would resolve a number of contested matters, including the UCC's motion to terminate the debtor's exclusive plan filing and solicitation periods, and the UCC's standing motion. The UCC will stand down on its appeal of Houlihan Loki's retention in the case, and Houlihan has agreed to concessions regarding potential transaction fees. The term sheet contains a number of milestones, including the filing of an amended plan and disclosure statement by June 12th, a confirmation hearing in late July, and plan consummation by late August. The stipulation also includes a term sheet for the plan contemplated by the settlement that would replace the existing version. Under the settlement plan, the 32 LLC claim would be paid in full in cash rather than a portion of reorganized equity as under the previous plan. Under the settlement plan, unsecured claims would receive 100% of pre-dilution reorganized equity. Also, the plan provides for a $75 million, quote, minimum cash backstop commitment open to all unsecured creditors. Treatment of the Blue Torch claim appears generally in line with the prior version of the plan. Turning to the island of Puerto Rico, a $19 billion disaster aid bill that includes new funding for Puerto Rico is headed to President Donald Trump after it cleared the U.S. House of Representatives on Monday night. The package includes $600 million for the, for the Nutrition Assistance Program, or PAN, for Puerto Rico that will be available until September 30th, 2020, and $331 million in Community Development Block Grant Disaster Recovery DR funds to assist in infrastructure-related activities that have not been obtained within the previous supplemental allocation in areas affected by Hurricane Maria. The funds in this last category are for both Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. The package also includes a provision requiring HUD to publish rules for the authorization of funding for Puerto Rico, which would free up $8.3 billion in CDBG DR funding for the island that was previously approved by Congress but has yet to be released. 
In the Title III cases, Judge Laura Taylor Swain entered an order Thursday afternoon resolving assured guarantees motion, seeking to compel the Unsecured Creditors Committee to, quote, fully comply with Bankruptcy Rule 2019 and with a related 2017 court order governing the filing of 2019 statements. Judge Swain's order grants the motion in part and denies it in part. The court imposes certain additional disclosure requirements on the UCC as well as on any groups, committees, or entities that are also required to make disclosures complying with Bankruptcy Rule 2019-B. The court directs the committee to file a supplemental 2019 statement consistent with the ruling by June 27th. Also, the new fiscal plan pending at the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority will incorporate the restructuring support agreement with certain of the utility's creditors and should be certified by the start of fiscal 2020 next month, according to PREPA officials. Also this week, the U.S. Supreme Court docketed two new petitions for Supreme Court review filed by the United States and the UCC in connection with the First Circuit's Appointments Clause decision. In its cert petition, the United States asserts that the court should consider the question of whether members of the Oversight Board are so-called officers of the United States within the meaning of the U.S. Constitution's Appointments Clause. The Solicitor General, on behalf of the United States, challenges the First Circuit's ruling and argues that the Oversight Board members are not subject to the Appointments Clause. Similarly, the UCC asked the Supreme Court to consider whether the Appointments Clause governs the appointment of the Oversight Board members. And Friday, the PROMESA Oversight Board posted on Twitter its letter announcing that it has certified its own version of the fiscal plan for the Puerto Rico Highways and Transportation Authority, or HTA. According to the Oversight Board, without considering fiscal plan measures, the HGA's total financial surplus over the six-year plan period is projected to be $31 million. However, after taking into account the measures set forth in the fiscal plan, the Oversight Board states that the cumulative surplus over that six-year period would grow to $493 million. The Oversight Board says that its revised fiscal plan, quote, transforms HTA from an in-house infrastructure developer to an independently governed contract manager to deliver on a $3.1 billion capital program while capturing $462 million in revenue and expense opportunities. Reorg also reported on news related to some key restructuring milestones this week. We learned, for instance, that EP Energy's unsecured note holders have organized with Rothschild as financial advisor and Strzok as legal advisor ahead of a coupon payment for the company's six and three-eighths notes due June 15th. Reorg also reported that 99 cents only stores entered into a transaction support agreement on May 29th with its sponsors, second lien lenders, and third lien note holders for a recapitalization that would reduce debt by more than $300 million. And... Legacy Reserve's forbearance period with lenders under the reserve-based RCF and second lien term loan had been extended to June 12th from June 7th. Other top stories this week were Mallinckrodt lenders organize with Jones Day in face of generic spin-off, Akthar litigation. Lyondell Trust Advisory Board replaces trustee and advisors, alleges legal malpractice claims against former counsel Brown Rudnick tied to unsuccessful prosecution of $300 million preference claim. 
PG&E Ad Hoc Subrogation Group Working to Resolve Subrogation POC Forum Issues. Disagreement remains between PG&E Tort Claimants Committee on Wildfire Bar Date POC Form Noticing Procedures. And now here's Angelo Thalassinos with The Week Ahead. Hello again, credit market fans and enthusiasts. In the great words of Yogi Berra, you can observe a lot by just watching. And so, I'm here to provide a window into the week ahead. Another week of wide-ranging events as we hit mid-June, including forbearance expirations for legacy reserves and sable permian. For legacy, its forbearance agreements with RBL and second lien lenders now expire on June 12. Sable Permian's forbearance with holders of over 75% of its existing senior notes expires on June 14. Hearings are scheduled from coast to coast this week and diverse array of credits. Monday begins with two contested hearings. In Houston, the Exco debtors will proceed with plan confirmation and appear to have resolved disputes with Oak Tree, although LSP Investments looks to continue to contest confirmation. And then in New York on Monday, the new Cote debtors will be seeking final approval of a dip to be provided by equity sponsor Silverpoint while attempting to block pick note holders from terminating plan exclusivity and the U.S. trustee from successfully objecting to the debtors' retention of SCAD and his counsel. The continued first-day hearing for the Fusion Connect debtors is also on Monday. On Tuesday, Judge Dennis Montali will preside over the latest omnibus hearing in the PG&E bankruptcy. As the company is now in the 2019 wildfire season, just this weekend, it noted that it was monitoring fire danger conditions in Northern California and said that it would proactively turn power off in certain areas for safety reasons. Wednesday brings the latest omnibus hearing in the Puerto Rico Title III cases and a second day hearing for the Cloud Peak debtors. Vanguard's disclosure statement hearing is also scheduled for Wednesday. Also, on or prior to Wednesday, we expect the amended plan disclosure statement documents to be filed by the PHI debtors after a settlement was reached with the Unsecured Creditors Committee. And scheduled on Friday before Judge Mary Walrath is a combined disclosure statement approval and plan confirmation hearing in Triangle Petroleum's prepackaged Chapter 11 case. Companies reporting earnings this week include Feral Gas, Neiman Marcus, and Tailored Brands. Last Friday, Feral Gas, in an amended 8K, said that it would no longer be holding a conference call associated with its release of earnings, but the release remains scheduled for Monday. To end the week, and perhaps to provide a preview into the week of June 17, three energy companies have coupon payments due June 15. Approach Resources on its 7% senior notes due 2021, EP Energy on its 6 and 3 eighths unsecured notes due 2023, and Sanchez Energy on its 7 and 3 quarters senior notes due 2021. That's all from me, folks, but as always, stay tuned to Reorg for the latest developments. Thanks, Angelo. Now here are Mark and Adam to discuss Weatherford International. Thanks, Karen. So I'm here with Adam Rhodes, and we're going to talk about uh, Weatherford International. Adam uh, covers Weatherford uh, from our financial analyst team. He's the stress debt analyst here at Reorg. And uh, Weatherford, uh, why are we talking about it? We had actually spoken about it uh, a couple of podcasts ago in the segment that we do, Most Volatile Credits, uh, the company in their first quarter result had announced an RSA, uh, which contemplated a bankruptcy filing later this year, and uh, that that caused bonds to sell off significantly. Weatherford with uh, over $8 billion in debt, um, more uh, pressing was that over 500 million of that debt comes due every year, really through 2025. Uh, so company uh, said that they were forced to, uh, to restructure. So let's, uh, before we go into 
the RSA wanted to talk about how we got here with Adam. So if, if you could, Adam, you know, what's been going on uh, maybe over the last year or so to get us to this point? Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, so over the past year or so, um, Weatherford's been concentrated on improving its own operations. Um, they announced to the market, uh, to the market a plan to um, cut $1 billion worth of uh, costs um, effective, I guess the start date is uh, year ended 2017, and they expect to reach that target by the end of this year. Um, and they also, given the maturities you were talking about, um, were planning to sell a handful of assets to fulfill those maturities. And um, a handful of the business were businesses that they've already sold, include the pressure pumping business, uh, their land drilling, uh, international land drilling rigs, um, their laboratory services business, and then the surface data logging businesses. Um, they just closed those two sales in April. Um, and just as of the Q4 call, uh, management had said that the transformation plan was generally on target. Um, so the news um, in the first quarter uh, was a bit of a surprise, as you'd mentioned. Um, we had heard things about um, Alvarez and Marsal being retained back in January, sorry, back in April, um, and then Latham and Lazard back in January. Um, but it was definitely a surprise to the market when that happened. Yeah, and that, that billion dollar number that you mentioned is pretty large too. Uh, we've got, uh, I'm showing here, first quarter, uh, through the first quarter of this year, LTM adjusted EBITDA was 770 million. So, you know, clearly if they had gotten those numbers, you know, that would have been a pretty big uh, boon to, to profitability. So, um, so, so company, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know, wait, raise, uh, sorry, wave the right white flag, um, you know, here. Uh, but, but let's, discuss, you know, what what specifically uh, was was the trigger? Uh, you know, first, what debt did they have coming due uh, this year? What would that have done if they couldn't extend those maturities? What would that have done to uh, cash, to, uh, to, to liquidity? Yeah, so in July of this year, um, $226 million of the commitments for the unsecured re revolving credit facility were due. Um, and then in August, uh, $317 million of the, uh, the second lien, 364-day revolving credit facility were due as well. Got it. So that, yes, yeah, so that would have definitely, uh, you know, hit liquidity. And what did they say? I, th I think that they mentioned losing access to, uh, to their revolver uh, in, in their 10Q. What, what exactly did they say? Yeah, so the 10Q said that... Um, as a result of substantial doubt about their ability to continue as a going concern, uh, that, that's why they lost uh, the ability to borrow from the revolvers. Um, back on March 31st, they had $691 million of liquidity. Great. Um, so, yeah, so quite a, a turn of events. Um, now, you had mentioned that you'd written a story about uh, some of the stakeholders here, or at least one stakeholder in particular, uh, that was throughout their capital structure. Um, why don't you tell us who that was? And, uh, you know, I guess potentially that was the party that they were negotiating this with. Yeah, on February 28th, uh, Franklin owned about $2.2 billion of the senior unsecured notes, which is about 30% of them. Um, but more importantly, they own 49% of those that are due um, by 2021. Perfect. So uh, when 
this uh, RSA was, was first announced. Companies said that they had 62% of unsecured note holders on board. And then uh, a week later, May 17th, they said that support had increased to 74% of outstanding senior unsecured notes. So, so Adam, why don't you tell us about the plan itself? What does the company uh, want to do? What is the, what their balance sheet uh, might look like if this plan goes through? Uh, yeah, so the company contemplates filing a prepack on or before Jan uh, July 15th of 2019. Um, and within that agreement, the unsecured debt would receive 99% of the reorganized equity and one uh, a billion and a quarter of new tranche B unsecured notes. Uh, the current unsecured, sorry, the current secured debt and the unsecured revolver will be paid in full, uh, as well as the trade claims. And then the existing equity would get 1% uh, of the reorganized equity of the go-forward entity and warrants for 10% of the stock, which would strike at par plus accrued and unpaid interest of the unsecured bonds. And I believe that the maturity date, or sorry, the expiration of those is in three years. Um, it also contemplates a 5% uh, uh, MIP for management and um, Further, I guess it has the um, has a 1.75 billion dollar dip, and that's going to include a billion dollar term loan uh, that's backstopped by a group of note holders, and then a 750 million dollar revolving credit facility, which will be provided by current bank lenders. Um, and then they also contemplate a commitment of one and a quarter billion dollars of tranche A unsecured notes that will be provided by note holders, um, but they've also said that, that could be um, an amount less than that depending on the cash needs of the entity. So uh, that all comes together to $2.5 billion of pro forma debt at emergence, assuming that um, both those uh, unsecured note tranches are fully used. Um, and then another thing is that actually the, uh, the tranche B notes that are being distributed to the note holders can be converted to um, equity at the midpoint of the, uh, the plan value. So there's a few wrinkles there. Great, and and I guess we'll we'll learn that plan value as uh, hopefully as we get closer to uh, to the company's July uh, potential July filing date, and uh, we'll keep an eye on uh, see if anything changes there. Um, what's been interesting, and uh, our our friend uh, Jim Holloway, um, reporter here at Reorg, who everybody uh, knows and loves on this podcast, um, has been reporting some activity on the uh, the equity side. Um, uh, we, had, we had learned uh, here at uh, Reorg that uh, some equity holders have organized uh, with Jones Day. Um, what, you know, I know they're, they're supposed to get uh, a, a little bit through this this RSA, um, you know, maybe some would call it sort of a tip. Um, what, what, what do you think the angle is uh, here? Um, you know, what, 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 what does equity hope to achieve, you think? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so my understanding is that a lot of the guys are focused on the billion dollars of cost savings that the company had highlighted um, just as far just as far back as the Q4 call. Um, They're still maintaining that the billion dollars of savings were um, effective and they, they had confidence in them. They said that um, they were generally on track at that point. So um, I think if you look at that, um, that's one way to kind of frame things. Yeah, no, that's interesting because you know certainly that's that's we we talked about it's considerable compared to the actual EBITDA. So it would have if they had 
realize it um, and nobody knows why all of a sudden they thought they would realize it and then they wouldn't um, what uh, you know what happened there but if they had it would have been a considerable um, windfall for um, you know, for for the company, and you know, you put a multiple on that, and it could be worth uh, worth a lot of money. So we'll see. Uh, we'll we'll see what happens. We'll see that uh, how that that plays out. Um, and I guess the clock is ticking for uh, for the company to file for bankruptcy. So Adam, uh, thank you very much. Uh, this is really uh, helpful. And Karen, back to you. Thank you for listening to another Reorg Weekly Review. As always, you can find all Reorg podcasts on our site's media page, iTunes, and SoundCloud. This has been The Week in Reorg, and I'm Karen Lamb.